Welcome to The Mountain Gardener with your host, Ken Lane. Gardening can be challenging, but with Ken's tips, tricks, and local advice, you'll reap huge rewards. Now welcome your host, Ken Lane. And welcome to this week's edition of The Mountain Gardener. Your host, Ken Lane, here every week talking about the landscapes of northern Arizona and what garden season we've had. This is... It's really starting to look good. Now, what you're seeing in your gardens right now outside, this is whether it's a flower, vegetable, tree, shrub, whatever, some of them are growing like crazy. The uh, junipers have just started elongating with these beautiful evergreen uh, tendrils. Uh, spruce are, have, have new candle growth in rich blues and greens. Uh, everything is growing like crazy. Some things... Got a little beat up. Now, what's happened is we've been cool for so long that many plants, many insects actually that eat plants, are, are growing equally as fast. And so you really do want to take a walk about your gardens. You really want to touch and feel and take a look to see what's going on with your gardens. And if you see spots, that's no, not a big deal. Like I just helped a customer just before the show started. It was, something's eating my apricot. It's putting this perfect dime-sized circle in the leaves, and it's driving me crazy. Is it going to kill the plant? Help me, Ken, help. Well, okay, hold on, take a breath. Um, that's a cutter bee. Cutter bees look like black bumblebees. They're, about the, they're really big. They're bigger than a honeybee. Uh, they have very small colonies. And what they do is they'll go out and take perfect circles. They got the mandibles. They've got the, they can cut with their mouths the perfect circle. And they'll take it back to the nest and they build nests with that. They do not kill plants. They rarely spread disease. They're really pollinators. They're good guys in the gardens, but they can leave holes in these leaves. They're like roses, apples. They'll, they'll go after aspens. Uh, this this case, the pitted fruits, they like peaches, apricots, nectarines, plums. Uh, don't worry about them. That's not a big deal. If you see your plant starting to get a little dry, that's something to watch. Is it going to be from overwater? Underwater? Is it an insect? What is it? What's going on? And so the only way I can really tell you, no one can tell you. Everyone blames it on the wind because Usually these kinds of pests or disease show up when the winds start kicking up. What we have going on now is a prevailing southwest wind. Have you noticed this week it's just been windier than normal? It's not normal. This is the normal for June. We need a prevailing southwest wind to happen to bring up that monsoonal rain up out of, out of the Mexico tropical uh, wet pattern. So it just it, that's what brings that moisture to us, usually in July and August. Uh, so if we don't have that, it just stays down south of us and it never quite makes it. Right now, I was checking the uh, monsoon pattern and it looks like it's right on the very, very southeast corner of Arizona. You're starting to see it go up just, just east of the White Mountains. So it's starting to hit through just, just south of Albuquerque. It's in New Mexico right now. So it will slowly, over the next couple of weeks, start working its way over. It'll be right on the edge of Arizona and New Mexico. Then it will hit the White Mountains, and then it will float over towards Payson and Flagstaff. Then it hits Prescott, and it just floats right across the state. We need this prevailing southwest pattern. It's not the wind causing issues for your plants. They can take that. 
guaranteed, it's almost almost guaranteed, it's probably a bug. It could be a water issue. If you're watering every day, plants don't like that, and so they tend to drown. If a plant is drowning, it will actually let its leaves dry up because literally the roots will rot off. The bottom of, of the roots will literally just rot. There's less roots at the bottom of this plant, and so it can't. It doesn't have enough root mass to keep the foliage going, so it just dries up and, and falls off. That's if you're watering more than, I don't know, three, four times a, a week. That could be the case. Uh, most of you have had the same water pattern for years, and it wouldn't change this year. It just It's just something else besides the watering. Then it's probably going to be an insect. And the, I can't tell you which one. There's so many of them out right now, it's crazy. Uh, but if you'll take your cell phone or a white sheet of paper, that's maybe even easier, get a white sheet of, of like typing paper. Is that even a thing? Printer paper, typing paper. Am I aging myself? Who even knows what a typewriter is, typing paper? Printer paper, white sheet of paper, or I take my cell phone with a black with the power off, just that black lens, take a, take a leaf and just tap it over top of that paper or that screen, and whatever is on, living on that particular plant, will drop down and you'll see it crawling around. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's big things. You didn't see it. Go, oh my gosh, I can't believe beetles that size are, are on my tree. I didn't see them. Or it could be as tiny as a thrip, also called noceums or an aphid, uh, dropping off. All of a sudden you go, wow, look at that. The screen is alive. What? I didn't know that many things could crawl around on a sheet of paper. Then you'll know, oh, it's a bug. Spray it. And so I've been spraying my plants. I just power up. This is when good tools really make a difference. You should own a good tank sprayer, something you can pressurize and spray. That's good for small jobs. Uh, and, and, and just while we're on that, um, I don't like really big tank sprayers. I don't like backpack sprayers. I don't like two gallon and above sprayers. What I like for my own use, um, I like a one gallon or even a half gallon. I like a smaller tank sprayer. The reason being, who's going to drag around five gallons of stuff around the yard? It's just too heavy. It wears on me. I feel worn out by the time I get done using it. Two gallons, you're lugging this thing around your left hand. You're spraying it with your right. It's just, I'm beat up. One gallon. Any of us can carry around one gallon of liquid with a bug killer in it. You can do that. My favorite right now is my hose end sprayer. You need a good tank sprayer and you need a good hose end sprayer. One that is quality, one that's not going to break on you, one that self-measures. You don't have to calculate the algebra to figure out the back end, the math, to two gallons per three for this many makes this much spray. I mean, who does that anymore? You want one that you just pour the stuff in straight, dial it to two tablespoons in a gallon, and it automatically mixes Anything that's left over, you put it back in the jar till next time. That's a good sprayer. So we've got a couple of them here at the garden center. I sell the, mainly the one I sell is the one I like. It's got it's made out of brass. I've got some that are ten years old. They're still going. They're magic and they're easy to use. I've been putting down. I've been putting in multi-purpose insect spray in my in my sprayer hose and sprayer, and I just hose down everything. I mean, from my petunias which has budworms, to my junipers, which have spider mites, to my uh, Japanese maple, which have <laughs> thrip. Bugs are out everywhere. 
It's just bad. I just hose down everything. And it, strategically, I try to do it right before I'm going to have a guest over. So then I don't have flies, mosquitoes. I got nothing. I'll just hose down everything kind of the night before. And then it cleans up the yard so I can entertain and have a backyard barbecue. We'll sip uh, tea or a glass of wine, watch a sunset and compare notes. And it's just relaxing. The second the flies start invading, no, thank you. That's, that's bad. Uh, another thing I do just if you do, if you're into entertaining, if you're into using your backyard and just having quality time with yourself or friends, um, I also put fly bait. They actually at your feed stores, uh, this would be Olson's Grain, your cow ranches, the folks that sell that have horse supplies. Anytime you have horses or any kind of farm animals, you're going to have flies. You're always combating flies. Well, they make this beautiful pellet. It's just granular. You sprinkle it around. I put it on the top edge, top rail of my fence where the flies come in, they eat it, and they die just like that. I mean, just it just gets rid of them. I don't put it in the entertainment area. I don't want to draw them into where I'm entertained. I put it on the outside edges where it keeps them at bay so I don't have flies. I mean, I might have the random one that survived, and they irritate me because I know I went out of my way to get rid of them, but no one else really gets bothered by one or two flies. And when they're coming in eating, you know, you got barbecues going on and they're all over the place. Same with grasshopper bait, no-lo bait, N-O-L-O. You put grasshopper bait out now, you don't put it in the garden, you put it on the outside edge. You're trying to draw those grasshoppers out of the garden. They eat the bait, they get sick, they stop eating, and in about two, three days, they die. Great thing about grasshoppers, they're cannibals. So when they see a fallen buddy, they eat the carcass. So that virus that's in no-low bait will continue to keep working its magic through the season, through the entire end of the year, sometimes into next year. It works that well. But that's how I use baits. So fly baits, bugs, we got a lot in store for you. We're going over the 30 tips you need to get done this month to keep your gardens healthy and strong. You've been listening to The Mountain Gardener with Ken Lane, owner of Waters Garden Center in Prescott. Join him every week for timely garden advice right for the gardens. Visit Ken where he can be found throughout the week at Waters Garden Center in Prescott. Waters Garden companion plants for June are Golden Locust, Moonshine Yarrow, Hall's Honeysuckle, and Gilt Edge Silverberry. Gilded Edge Silverberry grows head high with bright gold and blue leaves that screens out the most obnoxious neighbors while standing up to blistering heat and wind. The super sweet flowers are utterly animal proof. Even javelina and deer don't like the taste of this local shrub. You'll find the best evergreen natives at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. Gee, my flowers just bloom too much. Said no one ever. Hi, this is Kenneth Waters. We had a crazy winter and everyone's ready for flowers in the garden. Waters Flower Power is made specifically for Arizona that gives flowers that extra boost to burst into bloom. It's an energy kick in the plants. Get ready for roses that rule, peppers that pop, and tomatoes that triumph. More power to the flowers with Flower Power at Waters Garden Center in Prescott. You've been listening to Ken Lane, the Mountain Gardener. Green thumbs learned while working in the Family Garden Center. Now welcome back to the Mountain Gardener. And we are in the studio with Lisa Waters Lane. She comes each week with your garden questions. Just what are other gardeners talking about? What are their what's what what are they asking about? And so we can get a feel for that, and then I think that'll help other gardeners that are also, you know, when, when a bug 
hits your garden, they're not hitting just your garden. They're hitting the entire neighborhood. When when a flower blooms in your yard, it's blooming over the entire neighborhood. And so I think there's something to be learned with that. So Lisa, welcome to the studio. Well, thank you. Yeah. So what's new in your world? You've been, you've been living behind that microscope. Last week's uh, garden <laughs> class was on keeping plants healthy. Uh-huh. Uh, People are coming in with spots and oh, yeah. dots it's and that time of year it's it's aphids, thrips, fungus, you name it, it's out there right now. So in front of the studio I saw a little tiny holly so kinda of in mm-hmm. our test gardens and had spider mites. So I was spraying uh, it just just before we started, kinda of ticked my little uh yes. multipurpose and just kinda of spritzed it and go die that is true i have seen a (laughs) lot of spider mite coming in so i would definitely be out there checking especially my evergreen i mean they kind of get on anything so yeah they're like junipers that's kind of their native is junipers so the the native alligators and and shaggy Mm -hmm. bark junipers then they migrate over to other types of it seems like evergreens so uh, Mm -hmm. that one's an easy one to solve but, but people get tricked into thinking, oh, there's spider webs, but I don't see any spiders. Right. It must be okay. Mm, oh, it's it's not okay. You you want to get on that one. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Don't ignore that, people. Yeah. Don't let things go. <laughs> so what kind of good garden questions? Anything uh, uh, just like riveting that we can't, that's going to make airwaves just pop? I don't uh, think this, so. No. <laughs> okay. But we got the same old, same old stuff. But we'll talk about that. Uh, First, we have Jason. He lives here in the Prescott area. And he keeps seeing this bush that has bright yellow flowers on it right now that's very, very fragrant. Um, And he just, like, sees it everywhere, even where it's not, like, been planted. And he wants to know what what it is. Potentia. Little Mm. knee-high yellow flower. Uh, Could have been forsythia, spring-blooming hip-high fragrant thing could uh, be uh see i went right to spanish broom oh because spanish they're broom. blooming everywhere yellow right thing that's in bloom <laughs> right now so like, there's always like a hundred things we're never uh-huh. we can always narrow it down so spanish broom that's a good one yeah mm-hmm. uh spanish broom's got yellow flowers up and down this green stem grows about head high yeah it's very fragrant there's a there's a hip high one that's called scottish broom mm-hmm. that uh, gets only about four feet tall it comes in right. yellow white um, and a lavender. red it comes in a lavender yeah. and a kind of orangey red most one. famous though mm-hmm. is the spanish broom it's the biggest the largest showiest mm-hmm. and i think it's most fragrant because it's just bigger it has more flowers you think so i think it has a very strong fragrance to it yeah i mean it smell i know when i walk in the morning you know there's certain places that have a lot of it in their yard and oh my goodness very very fragrant yeah. very nice great one you can plant those now so it's a good one. That's a summer bloomer. It likes the summer. Uh, what's the other one with that yellow flower? Um, yellow bird of paradise. Oh, yeah. I was thinking I was going in that direction, but uh-huh. I don't know that has a fragrance, perchance. No. It's starting to show yellow yeah. with an orange tinge kind of flower. Yeah, very, very pretty, but yeah, I don't think it's fragrant. But what do I know? My sniffer, I think, is gone. <laughs> so there's a lot of yellow blooming things. You should come in and check them out. Yeah. Okay. Next question is from Anne. She wants to plant some trees that will give her privacy privacy between herself and her neighbor. She said they're lovely people, but I don't want to see them when I'm in my hot tub. <laughs> it's true. That sounds familiar. Mm. <laughs> so w- with the building boom, you know, people are coming to the southwest. 
Uh, I think they're leaving the city. They're just leaving California. They're leaving the big cities. It's not just California. It's it's Denver and it's it's Chicago, and you see them from everywhere. And they're coming here to get in the sun, to retire, to just have the fresh air. And so with that comes neighbors, especially if you're used to big properties. You're downsizing to right. now you're on top of each other. New properties that just they're just not much mature yet. And so usually we're thinking evergreens for privacy screens. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times we're thinking living walls. So a, a, a tree, you know, a, a deciduous, not deciduous, evergreen type of evergreen junipers. Um, there's spruce, a whole variety of spruce, pine. pine, fir. Oh my gosh, Italian cypress. Mm-hmm. Number one seller, probably Arizona cypress. Mm-hmm. It's a monster though. It gets, you know, 25 by 20. It's just a huge, big, thick, round, blue ball that's a native, <laughs> but it's too big for some of the smaller yards, mm-hmm. but a great choice. Uh, it naturalizes. I would say if you want to go something that doesn't take as much real estate, you mentioned spruce and pine. Those are great. Spruce are kind of slower growing, yeah. but they look like a Christmas tree. So they're just pretty. The pine trees don't plant ponderosa pines because basically you're planting a trunk. So yes, you'll have some privacy up until you know, right. three years from now, and then you have all this growth up here, then a trunk down that doesn't provide as much. Austrian pine mm-hmm. is a fast, probably the fastest growing pine that holds its foliage right down to the ground, but it has a long needle much like, in fact, it's a cousin of the ponderosa pine without having the trunk effect. It keeps this beautiful green layering all the way down. Great privacy screen. One of my favorites for real tight spaces, especially if it's that side yard where the the space is a little tight between uh, homes, Mm -hmm. I would say blue arrow juniper. Junipers do really well here. Uh, they naturalize because we're surrounded by juniper forest. This is not one that is known for pollen or some of the allergy issues, but it has this nice, rich, kind of native look, and it naturalizes. Just once it gets established, you can almost let it go. gets up to just above head high, maybe 10 feet tall by about two, three feet wide. Mm-hmm. So it's perfect for putting a row down oh, in yeah. there. So if you're putting a, a privacy screen, here, here's how many you need to decide. Here's the math. So you'll take the the described width, whatever the tag says, and divide it by half. And that will be your spacing for those plants. If you want an overlapping pattern from the bottom all the way up above head high, that will give you that very tight living wall mm-hmm. type of screen. So if it's a uh, red tip photinia, 10 feet wide, so space them at five feet. If it's an Italian cypress, five feet wide, space them at two and a half feet. If it's a blue arrow juniper at three feet, put them at one and a half feet. And you will just have this intense, thick green wall that no one dares see through. So you'll feel completely private by the time you get done planting. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Tom just took out a large weeping willow because it was just lifting sidewalks and getting and just becoming a problem tree. He wants to know what he could replace, what else he could put in there that wouldn't have the same issue as the willow. Yeah, there's lots of choices. Actually, willows and cottonwoods are are notorious for lifting, causing issues. And they're generally short-lived trees. Mm -hmm. And so you'll get 10, 15 years out of them. And then they just start having branches die off and... They get mangy looking. Uh, they'll still have some green, but they just have this dead material in it. And that, that's that's your call. 
it's never going to look good again. It's just going to deteriorate until it finally drops on someone or your house or your car. Yeah. So those are ones. Cut it down to ground levels as close as you can. Try not to plant in exactly the same spot. Go off a little bit because as roots decompose, they actually taint the soil so that no other roots or no other trees can grow in that spot. That's a natural defense the forest has created over the millennia. So try to be off a little bit so you're not surrounded by all those dead or dying composting roots. Doesn't have to be much, three, four feet, five, wherever you can get a hole in that's not in the same spot. Right. Now, back to the real question. Yes. What can you grow? If you're thinking longevity and natural, that is native-y kind of plants, there's probably two I would look at that are complementary to each other. They actually look very good together. One is the golden honey locust. Mm -hmm. The new growth comes out gold. It's now starting to green up, has this nice lacy, airy leaf to it. Very deep rooted, takes the wind, takes it just naturalizes really well. So actually there's forms of locusts that grow wild here. A companion to that up in the mountains would be oak trees. It's a nice, thick, green, glossy, forest green look. Really looks good against the gold of the golden locust with a classic oak leaf to it. Very deep-rooted, never lifts stuff, lives forever. It's a hardwood, but they just look good paired off to each other. As I'm designing, I often put them in the same companion plants in the same yard together because they just make each other look better. But great choices and much longer lived than a willow or cotton would ever dream of being. Oh, that's it for this segment. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ken Lane, a.k.a. The Mountain Gardener. Ken can be found throughout the week in Prescott at Waters Garden Center. Listen each week as he answers timely garden questions unique to mountain gardens. Hi, Lisa with the Plants of the Week and our Victory Pyracantha. It's impossible to kill this evergreen shrub. Your garden victory is assured. Birds will nest and revel amongst the cluster of bold red berries. Thick enough to hedge and screen, yet tall enough to use as a windbreak. A big, bold plant is just $59 and sure to impress your garden friends. Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott, where people who love Victory Gardens, they love to shop. As the days get longer and brighter, houseplants can struggle and scorch, but we have the solution. At Waters, we've organized our houseplants from A to Z for the brightest of sunny locations, many even bloom. With experts that know plants and how to make them grow. Shipments of the freshest houseplants in town have just arrived from A to Z and ready for a bright new home. Waters Garden Center, where people who love bright green houseplants, they love to shop, found in Prescott. You've been listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert Ken Lane. Join the conversation every week as he answers timely garden questions. Email Ken a question directly from your phone to his desktop through the web at watersgardencenter.com. That's Waters with two T's, GardenCenter.com. Now welcome back your host, Ken Lane. So one of the most difficult things about gardening is watering. What is the right pattern? You got to start there. And 80% of all garden issues are water-related, either overwatering or underwatering, and they're both equally as damaging in fact, in the mountains of Arizona, overwatering is more damaging than underwatering. And here's the symptom for both, actually. You'll see leaves starting to yellow, dry up on the tips, curl up, drop off. 
Those are all indications of over and underwatering, and here is why. When you underwater, plants get dry, uh, the roots that are underneath the ground dry up, shrivel off, and fall off, and so the plant is left with less root mass, and so you'll see these symptoms show up on the upper upper levels. The flowers will drop off, the fruit will shrivel up and drop. Those are all indications of underwatering. The opposite of that, if you overwater, the plants get too wet, their roots stay soggy wet. It's kind of like sticking your hand or your feet in a bucket of water. And what happens if your feet stay in that bucket of water for a day, for two hours a day, two weeks, what happens? Your skin literally wrinkles up and falls off. It just rots off. The exact same thing happens to roots. So it, the skin won't do it, but the bark will actually shrivel up and fall off. The, the tender root that's underneath that bark that's covering that new root, that will actually stain. It becomes rotting. You can actually have a smell and odor as the rotting smell, just the, the roots literally rot off. And so now the plant is left with less root mass to support that top growth. And so the exact same symptoms you'll see on the top of that, that tree. So it's hard to tell over underwatering. Here's what I can tell you. Here's how you water, bottom line. And I'll have this at the garden center. I know I'm going to get this wave of people coming in. Please come in. At, I'll have them waiting at the counter so you got them, so they're easy to get to. Uh, but this is the water guide. Here's how you do it. Trees and shrubs that are established, that is, you planted those two years ago and they're well-rooted, you're done. Um, you should water those things one time per week. Once a week is enough for a tree, a shrub, a vine, a rose, anything with a more substantial root mass once a week. The secret is the quantity. You need to give them a lot of water to penetrate all that, the entire soil band where the roots are. So some of you have very old established irrigation systems. You planted that, that, that landscape and then you put your irrigation to it and it's never been modified or maintained at all. There's been no maintenance whatsoever. And so if those emitters are still right at the trunk and this tree is triple in size, those emitters need to be cut off, put a T on it, and added. they need to be brought further out to the drip line, not at the trunk. They need to be halfway between the outermost branch and the trunk. That's where the feeder roots are. That's where the water is taken up. That's where the food is taken up. Yeah, but I've got rock and fabric down there. It doesn't matter. The, the water will go right through the rock and right through the fabric and right into the root zone. You just need to do it. You need to adjust your, your emitter heads. If, it's, if, that, if that irrigation system is more than four or five years old, you need them. It's time for a tune-up. You need that. Adjust it. You can do it yourself. Hire a professional. You can do this. If they're fairly new, keep them where they've been at, but now we need to run that irrigation longer. So not frequency. We don't need every day. What we need is to gather up all that water and water it just once this week, all at once. Water for two hours, one time a week. Then let it air out. Uh, so that's a secret for established plants. Things that are, are new. A lot of you have been in. You've got brand new landscapes there because this large, fabulous, beautiful, probably in bloom type of, of shrub or tree has one small root ball. The roots have not elongated and gone into the surrounding soil yet. They will. So there you need that emitter. You need the water well. You need the, the drip system right there where the roots are. And now you want to water more often, probably twice a week. So there I might break that two-hour cycle up into 
twice an hour for twice a week. So I'm still watering the same amount, but I'm, I'm, I'm breaking it up into two water cycles. That way, that small root ball, if it dries up, we can rehydrate that. Again, once that root, it takes about two growing seasons to really get the, the roots to the outer surrounding soil around it so it's much more robust. But until then, it's going to take a little bit more gardener's care to keep that going. Lawns, you're probably watering every other day right now, maybe every day if it's a if it's a fescue or ryegrass because they're high water users. If it's a, if it's a lesser water use like Bermudas or buffaloes or blue gramas, maybe it's one to two times a week. It depends on the type of grass. There's some variables. Containers, you're probably watering every day. A big hanging basket or pot of, of flowers or vegetables. A raised beds, probably it's every other day or so. So there's some variables with that. The gardener's got to... Be in tune with their plants and adjust accordingly. But it's windy, it's dry, and it's starting to warm up. Plants are going to be more dependent on you right now. Just don't go overboard where you're watering every single day. Plants need to breathe in between their water uptake. And the secret is a lot and then let it dry out. Give it a lot and then let it dry out. Give it a lot and then let it dry out. If things like hydrangeas and tomatoes are kind of wilty at the end of the day, that's okay. Let them go. You should only water in the morning, not in the evening. You do not want your plants to be wet as they go into the dark or into the into the nighttime, where you'll get powdery mildew and some other issues. So watering before 8 a.m. in the morning is perfect. That's the ideal water time. That's how you water. The Mountain Gardener, your source for timely garden advice right for higher elevations. Guaranteed to make a difference in your yard this season. I was raised in a nice house with my family. Now I'm out on my own and have my own apartment. I love my cute little place, but there's something I do miss. I miss my mom's garden in the backyard. It was so special because over the years I was growing up, I watched her give those flowers and plants such a personal loving touch and so much color. I miss it so. Well, guess what? I just visited my local garden center and they gave me some great ideas. And now, because of them, when I look out my patio window, I see the beautiful planter they suggested, teeming with flowers, bright Arizona flowers. Looking at those flowers gives me such a nice feeling, and it's almost like being with mom in the backyard all over again. Want help with planting? It's all online at plant-something.org. Brought to you by the Arizona Nursery Association at plant-something.org. You'll love it too. You're listening to The Mountain Gardener with local expert, Ken Lane. Mountain gardening is very rewarding, with a few of Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts sure to turn your thumbs even greener. Now welcome back to The Mountain Gardener. And we are in the studio with Elisa Waters Lane. We just share this time with my favorite gal in all the world... And we're about to be uh, empty nesters again, aren't we? It's just like scary. <laughs> we'll is it, see. Is it scary being in a big house all alone with a guy you've been married to like forever? No. Okay. But I have my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so we, our kids are starting to launch back to where they came from. Mm-hmm. We're proud of them. We wish them the best. But you know, how hard is it to mothball a house, put an extra car in the garage, Find someone to mow your lawn while you're away. I mean, just yeah. it's not like they just folded up an apartment and came back right. home. These are adults that uh, during the COVID thing just kind of 
were left idle. Mm-hmm. We said, come help us. We need help at the garden center. Come back. We'll let you live in the house or live in an apartment that we, we own here. So in the t- time frame that they're here, they've been here for like three months and now they're missing their homes. And nice. I don't blame them. I'd want to go back to, definitely. I would too. No matter how exotic a place you go to, even if it's your home town, <laughs> eventually you just miss yeah. your place, your stuff, your your of things. Of course. So anyway, that that's what's new in the Lane household. Mm-hmm. But this is about your gardens and what your <laughs> what's on top of mind with your gardening. Your gardens are fabulous, by the way, right now. Oh, oh my gosh, you're boy, stunning. you can you can tell things are really flourishing now. All those summer shrubs are starting to bloom or have been in bloom, and yeah, lots of color out there. Very very pretty. Um, I think some of the best colors mm-hmm. are in summer. I think the best yeah. colored shrubs, not necessarily the most fragrant, but I think that that's not that has more to do with the heat. You know, notice shrubs smell really good in the morning, but as the yeah. heat of the day comes up, they don't smell as fragrant. Right. Whereas in the spring, they're just, it's just cool. They smell kind of all mm-hmm. the time. So much more noticeable. But yeah, yeah. things are really start. I mean, the uh, crepe myrtles yeah. around town are just starting they got their buds yeah. some are some in a really warm spot are starting to show some color and i would have to say i think crepe myrtles are probably some of the most dynamic color that you can find out in the yard i would agree bright colors fluorescent mm-hmm. probably the brightest mo- most fluorescent fluorescence <laughs> but i'm sure there's a better word than just i'm sure there is <laughs> for bright colored plants they're not pastels they're no bright. they're very dynamic they show up very well purples reds uh whites i mean bright bright pinks they just pop they really just pop out there um and they're coming out with so many newer varieties now that are rebloomers so if you trim those once those blossoms fade and you trim them off they'll bloom again for you. So many, many more varieties coming out that have that double bloom. There's a red ruffle that's a double bloom. Red rooster is a Ooh, double that bloom. that sounds pretty good, yeah. Um, and they're Chuck coming out. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a lot of dwarf varieties now for those smaller yards, the dwarf reds, dwarf purples. Uh, Monrovia has a, a berry dazzle and a cherry dazzle line. Um, and the other thing that's kind of new on a lot of these is the leaf color. So instead of just having that regular old green leaf, you yeah. know, a lot of them are coming out. Uh, so the plants will start out with a dark burgundy leaf and then go green or they have just full time dark burgundy leaves, almost black on some of them. Um, so just really new. It's not your grandma's crepe myrtle anymore. <laughs> you don't want to have your grandma's plants. You want your own. There are some, we, the, the, the new fall foliage colors mm-hmm. are magnificent. Right. And crepe myrtles are one. They, they wake up late. They have no interest in spring. So yeah. they, they basically, you need interesting bark on them, which they do. Mm-hmm. And then they'll leaf out and they sit there and they sit for like three months, you know, spring through summer. And they just start about now. Right. Uh, really, July through the autumn mm-hmm. is when they're really rock stars. So if you want, this is when most things fade. Rock uh, the the crepe myrtle starts to really show off, right. but the foliage carries some of those because it's so rich, so deep, mm-hmm. even without the flowers. They're oh, yeah. beautiful. No, I agree. Definitely agree with that. And the the other thing people always ask me, why don't you carry the crepe myrtle trees? Why don't you carry crepe myrtle trees, Lisa? <laughs> I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 
really what happens is because of the altitude, uh, if we go sub-zero, so at the higher altitudes, for sure, many of the crepe myrtles will act like a perennial. They'll die back to the ground and come back fresh from the roots. They'll hibernate underground and come back, which means they're going to be a shrub. They're Mm -hmm. not going to, you're going to lose that trunk. And so for those of us at the lower elevations, let's say Prescott and lower, so 5,000 and lower, uh, they'll, they'll winter over for you. But then we get these freakish winters every 10, 12 years where they just, it goes sub-zero. And then that's the one that takes them out. Mm-hmm. And so because of the, the winter temperatures get so chilly, it tends to get them back to the ground. So you see more shrub form. Same with figs. You don't see fig trees here. Right. You see fig bushes. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the valley, the, the desert areas... There you'll see more tree forms. Right. That's because the winter gets them to, gets them to hibernate or reset mm-hmm. back to ground level every few years, and that's the re- we stop trying to sell trees. It's just right. not worth. It's not worth the frustration. Right. Every right. you know every seven ten years you have to tell a customer, <laughs> oh sorry, that's what they do. So again, okay, you have to buy it from somewhere else, the tree form, and let them disappoint you. We we don't want to disappoint. <laughs> we the want to shrubs. sell what grows well. Yeah, and, the shrubs and in do this well. Kind of quad city oh, yeah. area, the shrubs do amazingly yeah. well. Um, the other one, the Rose of Sharon. Now there, are, that's another one where it's, there's some Rose of Sharons that can get eight, ten feet yeah. or more and be beautiful. There's some that they uh, topiary almost into a tree form. Or you have the shrub form of it as well. And they are coming out, again, with some more dwarf, smaller varieties, again, for those smaller yards. But that's, you know, it, the blossoms on those are so pretty and so varied in their color from white to blush to dark purple to pink to white with a red center. I mean... Blues. Yeah, yeah blues. Just, so there's so many different ones if you just pick your favorite color and go with it because they're beautiful. Like roses. Mm-hmm. Not, it's Rose of Sharon. It's not really a rose. Right. It's a hibiscus. Mm-hmm. So truly, it's a hibiscus variety. But it's hardy down to, I think, minus 40 degrees. Some crazy, crazy. cold. It grows at all elevations in the mountains of Arizona from, I would say, 3,000, 3,500 foot level and above. So Sedona... Mm-hmm. Spring Valley, Cortis Junction, all the way up to the highest ridges like Highland Pines, Williams, Flagstaff, they all and they bloom consistently. They're beautiful. They Very nice. So another little bush that a lot of people don't think about is the St. John's wort. Oh. Uh, which is actually in that herb family. So it makes it very animal resistant if you have deer and javelina and bunnies. But the St. John's wort, uh, most of them get three by four, somewhere in there. Knee high by knee wide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, blossoms are usually yellow, but a lot of them will put on a very dynamic berry after those blossoms have faded. And you can find them from red berries, orange berries, yellow berries, all different colors. So it kind of gives you a, a fuller season because it has the blooms. And then after the blooms, it puts those berries on into the fall. So you get a long season out of those. Blistering hot sun. Mm. That's what they love. All these that you mentioned love blistering hot sun. And the berries are, those of you that like ornamental peppers. So there's this whole series of fall, autumn, late summer through autumn, decorative peppers. It sort of looks like that. There's a real pretty, brightly colored, waxy fruit that's really pretty, but mainly... No animals eat that thing. It's just they don't. They're not interested in Hypericum yeah. or St. John's Wort right. or what's the other name? What's, uh, I only know it? Hypericum and St. John's Wort. Okay, yeah. but we can make up another, another one if you want. No. 
we're the celebrities. We can make whatever we want up. There you go. <laughs> so we have two varieties. We have the Sunburst and the Red Star. And I'm quickly running out of time. And I have like two more pages of shrubs that bloom in the summer. You know, Spanish broom, abelias. You got to come in spireas. There's so many different things blooming right now. And they are blooming in the store. So you should come down and see them. Great time to be. A lot of folks hit the garden center in the spring and then they don't visit again. And then you miss out on all. Some of the best colors mm-hmm. are, are preferred when it's hot, they right. prefer being planted when it's hotter. The soils are warmer and they bloom better. You can actually see the color that goes from perennials to shrubs to some of your evergreens. They mm-hmm. just have this bright new colors coming out. It's a great time to be yeah. putting new plants into the ground, especially those summer bloomers. Thank you, Lisa. Ken and Lisa Lane and the Mountain Gardeners. We will be right back. Look for more tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts through Ken's website. Podcast the show, read his weekly garden column, or follow him on Facebook and Instagram at watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Waters Garden companion plants for June are golden locust, silverberry, Hall's honeysuckle, and moonshine yarrow. Moonshine yarrow is a fuss-free, heat-loving perennial with large clusters of canary yellow flowers held above a ferny foliage. It's just stunning. Mountain tough, you can't kill this perennial that only blooms better year after year. Javelina and rabbit detest the summer blooms. You'll find moonshine yarrow for a limited time at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. You need an area with your dream home on the inside, but surrounded by boring castle surrounded by rock is just so bland but we can help at waters we have a team of plant experts ready to dress up and decorate even the most boring of landscapes with something fresh new and evergreen plus we deliver and plant for you design your plants with the experts to help you beautify your new abode waters garden center 1815 iron springs road in prescott welcome to the mountain gardener with ken lane gardening in the mountains is different Listen to Ken's tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts guaranteed to make your gardens more beautiful than ever this year. Now for better advice that works locally, welcome your host, Ken Lane. Let me give you a a couple things that I've been doing in my own backyard that are going to help me get through this heat of, of summer. So there's this transition going on. We've mentioned bugs. We've mentioned watering. That's another thing, too. You might consider hand watering some of your newer plants, especially. So if you've got a brand new tree or shrub and it's got a, it's exposed to this wind, you might just go out and put it on the irrigation, water it once a week with the irrigation, but then water it by hand if you need to. And you're not just watering the tree or the shrub or the vine. You're, you're watering that and the surrounding soil. So you're trying to hydrate that surrounding soil. Now the surrounding soil will help to keep the health of that plant going. One, I'm mulching everything right now. So I'm taking the premium water's premium mulch. I make a nice organic compost. I'm putting about a two-inch layer on top of my containers, around my roses, or around my tomatoes. Just anything I want to keep the weeds out and keep the moisture in. There's nothing better than organic mulch or compost. Shredded bark can can do it. I like shredded bark too, but I really prefer the difference between shredded bark and mulch or a compost. Shredded bark, it's just that. It's bark. It breaks down very slowly. 
And so it, it's good at being a top dressing for a long time. Well, that's great if I'm not going to till or turn over that soil very often, but in raised beds or my containers that I'm moving over quite often, I, I want something I can put on there that I can now add to the nutrient level later next year. So I can turn that mulch into the ground next year and start plugging more tomatoes or more vika or, or zinnias or whatever I'd like to grow in that area. So I like top, if I'm, where I'm rototilling or double turning that soil, I tend to use mulch. It's, it's a better product. It adds nutrients as it breaks down. It creates, uh, it, it feeds the worms. It, it feeds the mycorrhizal colonies. There's a lot of positives with that. But that's one thing I'm doing right now, and you can't hardly get enough. Again, this, the book says two to three inch layer of, of organic material on top of the soil, keeps the weeds out, keeps the, keeps the, the soil in. One that you'll watch too, especially fruit trees, you're noticing right now, so I've got a little bit of fruit drop. So June drop is normal to have uh, uh, plums and peaches, apricots. They're, they're notorious for dropping some of their fruit when it gets hot and windy. We blame it on the wind, but really what it is, the soil, it, it's only got so many nutrients and, and roots to suck up that moisture. And so it's, it's naturally trying to feed all of this fruit. The tree is actually trying to compensate. It goes, whoa. Too much fruit for the amount of root. I'm going to sacrifice the weaker of my fruits, and they naturally self-select uh, some of their fruit. They naturally will drop some of them. Not all of them. They just have some drop. So some is okay. Consider it. You're lucky. You don't have to do it yourself. Uh, the tree is naturally. If it's if it's dropping all of them, well, we got issues. Flooding, gophers, or some other grubs are out. Something else is going on. So just watch for that. To have some is okay. As things get done blooming, those spring bloomers, wisteria, lilac, forsythia, quince. You just know who they are, azaleas, rhododendrons. You can just go right down the list. What's been in bloom? You, you start pruning your spring bloomers right after they're done blooming. So you can go ahead and shape things now. Uh, get them back to size. Don't let them take over, especially the spring bloomings like the ones I just mentioned. It's okay. I would say, too, with your evergreens, especially topiary. Topiary, they're, they're uh, groomed or shaped. They're art forms, so pom-poms and spirals. As they elongate, you put on this new candle growth. That's the time when you prune those back, too. It keeps them down to size. So don't allow them to elongate and then solidify and become thick and more robust Right now, they're tender and they're new, and you can just almost break them off by hand to keep that form on that spiral, to keep that pom-pommed or, or whatever shape you have, or just to keep a Bosnian pine or an, a, a spruce tree to the size that you want. Now's the time to prune them. You do it as they are sending off that new growth with the suckers on things. It's okay to prune. What the book says is up to 10% of the foliage mass can be pruned back anytime you want. Well, that, that's a haircut. That's Go ahead. Don't let them get ahead of you where they take over, especially really aggressive things like wisterias. Some of them, they grow so fast. It's good. They actually would appreciate a haircut about now. <laughs> it's okay. Um, also, I'm noticing that berries are starting to form quite nicely. So I've got lots of blackberries, 
lots of raspberries, lots of fruit on the trees. Here's what I do. Now, you can put bird netting over them. Okay, that's good, but it's kind of a pain. Well, here, here's what I do. I've got scare tape. There's actually a bird reflective tape that you can string up and down that bramble or, or over that grapevine. Here's the secret while you're doing scare tapes of, of for like keeping the birds off your fruit. You can't put it on too early and you can't put it on too late. Put it on too late, they've already pecked a hole in every single fruit. So that's, you know, that's too late. About the time you look at the fruit going, oh, that's going to be really looking good. Oh, my, I can't wait till I get my first blackberry coming off. My mouth's watering just thinking about them. That's the time you put the scare tape on. If you put it on too early, the birds get used to it and they go, oh, they're just they're just trying to psych us out. No, that's not real. We're going in for the harvest. So if you'll wait till about a week before you'd actually harvest it, that's the perfect time to put on. They have scare balloons, scare tapes, all kinds of scare me mechanisms. You just don't want them to be on there too soon. You want them on just about a week to two weeks before you actually harvest all of that fruit. So kind of watch. That's, that's another thing. Uh, corn. My corn is actually up. It's maybe three feet tall. It's interesting. I tried a new experiment. I actually put corn in a few of my larger containers just to see how it would look with like petunias in front or geraniums. It's actually looking pretty neat. People are starting to comment going, what is that? What do you got going on there? Which is what I wanted. Going, oh, that's my corn. I'm going to harvest corn from that. You like my petunias too? So, but one thing to watch right now is as that corn, some of you are tuned in from the little bit lower elevations, so your Dewey, Humboldt's, the, the, uh, I don't know, Cottonwood, Camp Verde, so down all those areas, the farm areas, uh, really watch for earworms or, or, or the, the corn tassel, silk tassel worms. Uh, they can become a problem. They can eat your entire corn, and they, they, they attack the corn when it's small. So what you do is you just take a drop of mineral oil and put it on that corn silk uh, about, I don't know, within a week. When The first time you see the silk coming up, drop one of those in there and it'll keep those worms out of there. It's a little tiny caterpillar. Takes them right out, but just a real easy secret mineral oil will work. I've also got some sprays, so BT. If you want to go full on, go all marine on them. I've got that too. Uh, but just, the main thing is don't wait. Catch them while they're early or they'll eat your corn and there's nothing you can do about it. Tomatoes, too. Tomatoes, if you don't have a stake or some sort of structure to hold those tomatoes upright, you're almost getting too late. They're actively growing, I mean, by the inches right now. So really put a structure up because these tomato plants, they're going to double in size even yet, maybe triple. So you really want something substantial. And I, we've, we sell a really big cage here that's easy, substantial. It's got four big legs, easy to push in the ground. But it's way overkill. Until you get about another month from now, and then you're going, wow, that was pretty good. I love this tomato cage. Those cheesy little ones you buy for like a buck ninety-nine, they start falling over, becoming a problem. It's just, yeah, it's no good. What else can I give you? Just I'm trying to pop off some things I'm doing really, really fast and furious right now. Right now I'm deadheading, or I'm pinching off the old spent flowers. So there, if you take off that old flower, Frequently, that plant will start blooming again for you. What happens with plants? 
they'll start blooming. And once they're done blooming, they've now pollinated and they're assuming they're going to put seed on. So they're reproducing. They only care about reproducing. They don't care about flowers. So what happens is when you pinch off that old spent flower, the, the plant is actually going, whoa, I just lost my ability to, to reproduce. I better set more flowers. So it's really easy to keep most flowers, most blooming plants, you can keep them reblooming with that simple step. If nothing else, it cleans them up and makes them look better. But mainly things like gallardias, echinaceas, salvias, they'll all repeat bloom over and over and over again for you throughout the year just by deadheading or pinching off the spent flowers. And those are some of the tricks you want to, you want to take care of this time of year in your summer gardens. You're listening to local garden expert Ken Lane, the owner of Waters Garden Center. He can be found throughout the week at Waters Garden Center, located in Prescott at 1815 Iron Springs Road. Thanks for tuning in to The Mountain Gardener. Waters Garden companion plants for June are Moonshine Yarrow, Silverberry, Hall's Honeysuckle, and Sunburst Locust. Sunburst Locust cheerfully shouts, Hello Spring! with its glowing yellow leaves. As summer heats up, it settles down to a naturally cool green only to turn gold again in the autumn. This water's exclusive casts a dappled shade, perfect for reading books or sharing an outdoor meal, and impervious to deer. You'll find the coolest trees here at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. Gardening and you don't know where to start? Waters In-Home Garden Service comes to you and identifies what you have and how to make it better. Design advice, water strategies, vegetable and flower gardens, soil and food needs, and problem solving. Always problem solving. You'll instantly be a better gardener. All for just $200 of expert time with a coupon to fill your garden dreams without ever leaving home. In-home garden consultations from Waters Garden Center. We can be at your home this week. You've tuned in to The Mountain Gardener with local garden expert Ken Lane. Join him each week as he answers timely garden questions that are sure to make a difference in your gardens. Now welcome your host, Ken Lane. There are so many garden tips I just want to impart to listeners that are tuned in. Each week I, sh I could really go on for a couple hours to really get them all. I just want to get some of the key highlights. But my goal every week is to give you at least three things that you can put into your gardens and make a difference like right this week, right now. And so that's the goal. And hopefully you can get a, get three things that you can go use. Throughout the week, though, we're here at the Garden Center. Please take a picture. bring a If you're bringing samples in, if I could ask. I'm getting this wave of people going in. What's this? If you could put it in a Ziploc baggie, help us protect our plants. We don't want to spread disease, especially leaf spots insects a colony will just grow like crazy over overnight we just don't want to spread that to our own personal inventory i mean i'm paying for kids you know grad school payments i can't do that with bad looking plants because bugs are brought in ziploc bag a jar anything just to isolate that and you don't have to pull out of the bag when you come and go hey what's this uh, we like to see it in the bag many times you can see the bugs inside the bag so we're looking for that so help us with that uh, but we're here to help. We've got a microscope, some freakish things. We saw a leaf miner this week in a wisteria leaf in between the two, right in the middle of the leaf. You could not see it till you blew it up in the microscope and went, whoa, the entire crew is so excited about it going, oh, we've never seen that. That is freakish. Oh my gosh. Well, is it dangerous? 
yes, it's dangerous here. You need to kill it with ass. <laughs> so we just, we'll try to keep it organic whenever possible. But you should be walking your yard looking at things right now, making sure you know when you start to see issues. Of course, every Saturday we've got a garden class. You can bring samples in then. Uh, we're, we're trying to soft launch it. We had good. We had a good turnout last week, last Saturday, nine thirty. Um, everyone is spaced out comfortably. We're out there in the open. A little awkward because you're in the sun, a wind a little bit. You might bring an umbrella if you need to. But fresh air and sunshine is safer than close quarters in a greenhouse. Uh, just that's what we're thinking, and that's what we're going to stick with throughout this year. So the rest of this year, until they find a solution to COVID, whatever, that's what we're going to do. And so please join us every Saturday at 930. This weekend, it's fruit trees, how to grow better fruits, what to grow, how to fertilize them, how to treat, how to, how to actually treat them. The week after that is July 4th, believe it or not. We are going to be open on the 4th of July. It's a Saturday, but there will be no class. We're going down a skeleton crew. We figure people will be gardening. They'll be watching fireworks later, but we're going to be open here at the Garden Center. Just no class that Saturday. The Saturday after that, July 11, that's going to be growing better berries and grapes. I'm an expert with that. I'll be teaching that class myself. Then it's avoid these pests at all cost. We figured by the end of July, you'll start having some serious insect issues. We want to get that out, out so everyone knows what to look for. We'll bring samples. Then the last week in July is privacy screens and barriers with all the building going on. People are struggling with how to create a privacy screen. And it goes on and on. Take a look at all that at watersgardencenter.com. Just There's a huge tab right in the middle of the page called classes. Hit that. Facebook, just look under events. It's right there. You Facebookers, you know what to do. And of course, throughout the week, we're here for you. Please come visit. We love talking to fans of the show, interacting with gardeners. This is how we've made our livelihood. We just lock, like talking plants with friends. And we, if you come into the nursery, we just assume you're a friend of Waters Garden Center. Waters Garden Companion plants for June are sunburst locust, moonshine yarrow, silverberry, and Hall's honeysuckle. Ideal at growing up fences, walls, or as a ground cover. Wind, drought, deer, javelina are no problem. Hall's Honeysuckle is an outstanding mountain vine with fragrant yellow flowers that loves blooming in the summer heat. An excellent solution for a fast-growing screen, even in the poorest of soil. You'll only find the hardiest vines at Waters Garden Center, 1815 Iron Springs Road in Prescott. If you want a more fruitful garden, increase success in your landscape that just feels better, then tune in every week to The Mountain Gardener. Years of tips, tricks, and garden shortcuts are guaranteed to make your gardens nicer than ever. Listen to this podcast or read Ken's weekly garden column by visiting watersgardencenter.com. That's waters with two T's, gardencenter.com. Thanks for tuning in.